We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. Joining me for this episode is Ben Gardner. He holds a UEFA Pro license where he was mentored by Jose Mourinho. We will definitely talk about that. Premier League assistant coach with West Brom and first team coach at Crystal Palace. He also worked at the academy there and coached in the Indian Super League with ATK. Was really, really looking forward to this chat. Life on a Premier League bench as an assistant coach. So, so much theory and information available to coaches both on social media and coach education these days. But how is all that information implemented on a daily basis when the pressure is on? Outstanding insight from Ben here and you're going to love this one. At Gary Kernin on Instagram. Let me know what you think. At Gary Kernin on Twitter. Quick announcement before we start. The Modern Soccer Coach webinar for November is coming up on Wednesday, November 20th at 4pm Eastern Time. We are talking about set pieces. The first ever webinar I've done on set pieces will cover attacking versus defensive, youth, college, amateur, pro level insight from coaches, zona marking, can it actually work, how do you train it, what separates the top teams and then we'll use some video analysis to give you some ideas as well. 45 minute webinar we'll have a discussion after it all the coaches it's free for all members of the modern soccer coach community only six dollars a month to access all the content webinars etc modernsoccercoach.com slash community if you want to buy a year's pass and get a free book modernsoccercoach.com slash shop and the special deal is in there okay life in the premier league as an assistant coach here is ben enjoy Ben, thank you so much for joining me today on the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. Really, really excited to have you on. Pleasure, Gary. Pleasure. We'll go right into it. Your your journey is pretty amazing. An, an interview, 30, 45 minutes an hour, won't do it justice. So I'm going to go two feet, crunch and tackle in to start with. Look, looking at what you said and, and doing a little bit of research, I was, I was intrigued because when I was growing up, uh, it was at the time of, Spurs and the Euro 86, Terry Venables was a big, big name. And you said as a young coach, you were inspired by, by Terry Venables. And yeah. I wanted to, to ask you what specifically was it, was it about him that stood out when you watched him work? I think at that stage, he was, he was very, very different to anything that I'd seen or experienced as a young player. Um, and I think up to that point, I'd been frustrated in terms of it was all about size. It was all about strength. Um, I didn't think me personally and also players across the board, young players in this country were being developed well enough technically and tactically. Um, and Terry was completely different to that, very different to what I'd, I'd seen before and, and what I'd experienced as a player. So he, he was so positive. He encouraged creativity. Uh, he had the really... He had a range of man management. It wasn't just the stick all the time. You know, he had the arm around the shoulder and, and would speak to players in different ways and have a laugh and a joke with them. And 
I just think he made, you could just see that he made players feel good. Um, and, and I was a young kid training with the first team one preseason. He didn't know me from, from Adam and it, you know, he made me feel good and made me feel positive. And when I injured my ankle not long afterwards, I wanted his coach and I started taking my badges and, and he was definitely a big motivation in that. That documentary they did, uh, Euro 96, when they came out, they went back, he's in a hotel now in Spain or wherever it is. And uh, I was just astounded by the different, so the, obviously the Gascoigne, how you manage Gascoigne, which is probably an art in itself as a as a manager. But then how he manages then the the sheer, the, the guy that's out of luck, the striker that's out of luck. And sometimes we think that dealing with these players, you're getting them all at their peak, but they're all at different stages. So that's, is that more of a personality of them or is that uh, empathy or like emotional awareness? Or where's that come from? Yeah, I think it's emotional intelligence and awareness without doubt. I, I think every manager that I've worked for, every experienced assistant and people that I speak with, managers I've gone to visit, it's always the number one thing is man management or people management. Um, you know, making sure that you treat people well as a person first before the football side even even comes into play. Um, and I think the best managers have got that, whether whether it's a natural thing, whether they've had to work at it. Um, but Terry, without doubt, had that he had that natural charisma and that natural way of dealing with players. Um, I spoke to him on the phone probably about a year ago now, and was picking his brains on Barcelona and that side of things, and. And, and what he did there. And it's just absolutely fascinating to, to hear how he dealt with different characters, different personalities, different language, you know, different country for, you know, such a, such a huge club. Um, but I think it's, it always reverts back to that people management and, and being able to, to manage the group and manage people as individuals. Your time then in the Academy and Palace, so you're probably not aware because you probably don't have the same social media nonsense that I troll through on a daily basis where it's everything about here in the US is basically there's a academy system that, that there's a lot of money invested now where we're trying to produce you know elite players right they're not coming through in the national team and people are getting impatient and people are now questioning these environments so for your time in Palace there was a period that Nathaniel Klein, Victor Moses, Wilfred Zaha John Bostick, I remember Bostick at a young age when I came, like, amazing players. What was it about that environment that brought them through? Probably the biggest thing would be the, the area. Um, you know, South London is a fantastic area for the recruitment of, of young players. I think that's continued even now. Um, you know, look at the amount of players that have come from, you know, a small area in terms of size, densely populated, but a small area. So I think that was the, the big thing. We had the raw materials um, to work with. When I started in the academy fairly early on, it was there was a lot of freedom to coach. There wasn't the structure that there is in academies now. Um, I could coach what I wanted, how I wanted. Um, so I think that that gave you creativity and freedom as a coach. And I think we also had that with the players. It wasn't a one-size-fits-all approach with the players because we had you know, very different players, a lot of wingers and skillful attacking players. So it was challenging them. It was coaching them and developing them without restricting them. Um, you know, they could do amazing things with the ball, especially, you know, the likes of Victor and Wilfred. And if you made them play two touch all the time, you just weren't going to get that from them. Um, so I think that was important in, in having that freedom and being able to almost treat each player 
as they needed to be treated to get the best out out of them. Um, also, the fact that we had a number of good players in the same age groups challenging each other, because you know you can work as much as you as you want as a coach, and and you push players and you develop them and you're doing your best to do that. But the players also challenge each other, and I think because we had a real core of good players across a number of age groups. They pushed each other as well. They wanted to get better. The standard of training was good. It was intense. Um, so without that, that would have, uh, have made a big difference. And and as we got players sort of going through into the first team, I think that pathway was important as well because once you see one do it, everyone else in the academy is looking at it going, well, I can do that. There is a pathway at this club. There has been success. Um, and in John's case, you know, John got in the first team at 15 years old and was a, a, a terrific talent and made the decision to, to leave the club at the end of his, um, before his scholarship to go to Tottenham. And the ones that stayed um, actually broke into the first team and, and did terrifically well. So that was probably a, a big help for us in terms of recruitment and keeping our best players because the presentation almost took care of itself. Because you were showing that these are the players that have stayed. This is what's happened to them. There is a pathway at this football club. You don't need to leave. You know, you can be successful here. And that allowed us to to keep our best players. And we didn't, after that point, we didn't lose anyone for, for a number of years. That's really interesting there about that creativity piece. I think that's, that we struggle over here then in a big way where we, we grab and copy and we copy it because it probably looks good in a PowerPoint or because it looks good in a in a curriculum book. But in yeah. that there, you are creating a, a one-size, almost an average player, aren't you? Like you're not allowing them to express themselves. Yeah, I think you, as a coach, sometimes you've, it's difficult. You've got to take your ego out of the way and actually what, what do the players need? How do you produce an elite player? And also you've got patience with it. If you've got, if you put a curriculum in place or a program that you think will produce players, you've got to give it between five and 10 years really to see the benefits of it. If you're chopping and changing because Spain is suddenly doing this or they're doing this in Argentina or Germany having success and you're trying to copy all the time, I don't think you really get anywhere. You've got to have your own way of doing it that suits the country, that suits the type of player. Um, and then you do have to allow that flexibility within players. And I've seen it here where there's almost a quest for the perfect player. And you're, you've got a winger that's absolutely unbelievable what he does. And you're trying to work on him, work with him on perhaps heading the ball or, or defensive things that they're not going to shape his career. You're better off focusing on these strengths are amazing. You know, that's what is going to get him in the first team. Yes, we're going to try and work on the other areas, but also he's absolutely brilliant at this. You know, let's keep making him better at this. Let's keep putting him in situations that challenge him. Because that is going to be his, his unique selling point, if you like. So, so when you go to your journey, and then you you moving from these players at the academy level, and then going to the first team and going to professional players, what did you have to change, or what were the the personal challenges that you had to deal with? I mean, initially when I first stepped up, there was probably the pressure straight away in terms of, of there's always pressure of results, but at that point we were trying to stay in the playoffs. Um, and I obviously had a chance of promotion to the Premier League. So you're going from a development environment um, into a situation where there is that instant pressure um, of, of trying to achieve results. So it becomes a. Uh, I, I didn't change how I coached and my style, my identity. 
but I certainly had to become more concise in terms of the coaching, more precise of what I was doing. Um, my focus really was on making sure that the quality of my work was very, very good. Um, I wanted to make sure that everything was very well planned, very well organized, um, that it challenged players in the right way, that it was helping us you know, achieve performances and results on the pitch. Um, and also in terms of speaking to players, if I was showing any video clips or a player was asking me questions about the opposition or about his past performance, you know, I wanted to make sure that that information was as high a standard as it, as it could be. So, you know, doing your work, watching games back, watching the opposition. Um, you know, if I was going to talk to a player about something, I needed to make sure that it was that it was spot on. Um, so I think you have the challenges in that respect and, and, and the changes, you know, you obviously evolve with each role and um, that you're given. So, you know, I'm learning all the time in, in, that, in that period, but I didn't go away from who I was, what my strengths were um, and how I coached. It was just a case of, um, if you're working with the under 18s, you're taking more time with it because you're trying to get more information across, you're trying to educate them. Whereas with the first team players, there wouldn't be as many stoppages. If, if I was going to make a point, it'd be very quick um, because they want to keep going. They wanted that intensity into this session. So the big change was probably putting even more detail into into the planning because you've got a shorter amount of time to do it in. You've maybe got a shorter uh, space of time in terms of making your coaching points. So you've got to become better, but in a shorter period of time. Did the match schedule and that intensity of Premier League and then obviously with science the way it is and dictating that you can't do X amount of hours every day, did that ever become a challenge? It was a challenge probably for me personally that I, I missed the amount of contact time that, that I had because you're going from having your own team, um, which I'd always had. I, I, I doubled up a couple of years where I had my own team and I was assistant, but that was still quite easy because I had my own team every week and that was the first time where I was going in and, and you're an assistant now and it's not your team you're not making the final call and you're not dictating the training program necessarily you're having an input but it's the manager's ideas that you're putting across and and working towards that so i think that was a challenge for me in terms of adjusting to that um and and, and finding out how to be most effective in terms of helping the manager and helping the players probably another area that was important was looking after the players not in the team um, you know, how you speak to them, how you keep them as part of the group, how you keep them motivated um, and making sure that training for them is, is unique. And that was something that I focused a lot of energy on at both Crystal Palace and West Brom was making sure that those extra bits for those players and the training for them was actually, you know, really detailed and really high level because they need that to keep them motivated. And and also, I always wanted to be conscience-free in terms of if he gets a chance in the team, is he fit? Is he ready? If he's not, that's a failure on me. Um, you know, you kind of a player that gets an opportunity to go in the first team and doesn't play well because he's not fit enough or he's not ready for the game. Um, so that was something I focused on with, with the sort of the group that wasn't playing um, and even players out on loan. I think that was important to stay in touch with them, go and watch them play um, and, and make sure they knew they were still part of that group. This is the number one question that I want to ask you. You wrote a great article for Football DNA on improving decision-making of players. I wanted to get your thoughts on where you think a coach can make the biggest impact at the professional level when you're talking about less time on the pitch 
Is it through mm. the planning with session design? Is it with those video analysis? Is there somewhere where you feel that you specialize? Or? It's probably a combination of everything. Again, it probably depends on the needs of the individual as well. And if you spend that time getting to know them and understanding how they best learn, how they best take information on, then you'll probably deal with each individual differently in that respect. So um, do they need to be on the grass and going through things to really grasp it and take it on board? Or, or are they effective at looking at video analysis and going through it that way? So again, I think you have that flexibility with the individuals. Um, from a coaching perspective, again, I, I think on the grass for me personally is the best is the best way to do it. You're actually doing it, you're going through it. And how specific you make that for the player and how realistic it is, is the key. Because if it's not the right intensity, if it's not the right pictures and, um, and challenges they're going to face in the game, then it's not going to be as beneficial as it should be. So as much as possible making it uh, small groups, units, even individual work, and really specifying those decisions, those pictures they're going to face. So, you know, you might have a, a number six in midfield who's, who's sitting in there and he, say you're playing with two advanced midfielders in front of him. What pressures is he going to face? What sort of level of awareness is he going to have to, to make the right decisions? How did the opposition press him for that particular game, for an example? And recreating those pictures and going through that with him. And then also using the video analysis and, you know, you can show you might be a player for the opposition that, that he really presses quick. So when that ball's coming into you, that's quite often a trigger for them to press when it goes into that holding midfield player. So you're going to have to be really aware of pressure coming from this side of you. Um, and if you're not sure and you can't get that look in, then you've always got that bounce pass back to your centre-back. Um, but again, it's it's tailoring it to the individual, making sure it's... The, the organisation and planning, again, is the key for me, making it as specific, as functional and as beneficial for the players as possible. Do you see a difference then in working with, you know, because when you get into first team Premier League, I suppose the range of cultures that you're now exposed to with players significantly changes with so many foreign players in the league. Was there, was there certain players that wanted that deal? Was there, did you see relationships between certain cultures, like the Spanish people wanted that, the French people? Was there anything there that you can shine a light on? Yeah, I think there's. If if if, if players speak the same language, they're naturally drawn drawn to each other um at both clubs i i work for in the premier league we english was obviously the spoken language in the dressing room and pretty much all the players spoke reasonable english um there was one at west brom who when he first joined his english wasn't fantastic um but we had spanish-speaking players in the squad um and, and i speak spanish to a reasonable level so could get a basic level of information across and, and, and do that. And and at times, if there were players that I felt um, needed a little bit more attention in terms of taking the information, and I would do that. So if we had a, a team meeting that I was delivering and there was a specific part of a player and I wasn't sure he was going to grasp it completely in that in that meeting, I would take him in 15 minutes before the meeting, run through it with him, speak to him in his own language if necessary to make sure that he understood it and then go back through it in the team meeting with, with everyone else. So I think from a coaching perspective, it's again, it's taking your ego out of it and going into the game, does every player know what's expected of them? You know, are they prepared as much as they should be? How you get to that point 
is, you know, everyone will do it differently. But I was always of the opinion, and I always will be, that if a player goes into the game and doesn't know what's expected or not sure on, on what the, the game plan is or what we're doing in or out of possession, then, again, that's uh, my problem. That's, that's not his problem. Um, so, yeah, there were was, there was situations with different players and, and different nationalities and cultures. And, and, you know, you learn from that as a coach and it challenges you and certainly makes you better. All right. Jose Mourinho, uh, he mentored you for your for your pro license. How was that there, Expert? How did that come about? Um, it was basically the, the secretary for my pro license at the start. You had a task where you had to interview a, a head coach or a manager. Uh, and I didn't want to do it within Crystal Palace, within the club, because, you know, you're working there day in, day out. I'm seeing the manager. I know his strengths and what he's all about. I wanted to do something different and, and have a new perspective. And the secretary at Crystal Palace, Christine, she knew um, Jose's secretary or, or PA well. So just asked the question of whether I could go in and speak to him and, and interview him ahead of this task. And unfortunately, he agreed and was um, it was fantastic. It was uh, it was a great experience. and. I can't speak highly enough of him for, for, for what he did. Um, it was also a motivation for me because he'd come from a, a similar type of background in terms of not a playing career, and, you know, and he'd educated himself and worked up working with young players and, and progressing up through, through the senior level. I could relate to that and I wanted to, to pick his brains on that and learn from those experiences as well. Um, and uh, he was so insightful for that for that period of time was really open um and took some took some huge lessons from him that have made a big difference to me and i'm still um i still use now effectively um particularly around the human part of the game the i took as much in terms of dealing with people and how you manage the group than specific football aspects the he spoke really well around keeping everyone on board, um, how you manage the players out of the group, those things I was talking about, um, and, and treating people as people, understanding their backgrounds, understanding their family situation. And he was really warm and, and really enlightening in that respect. So um, for me, it was it was an honour to, to be able to speak to him and go through it. And as I say, he was really open, then invited me out to watch training. Um, and again, was very open with with what they were doing, and and um, a touch of glass, really, a real touch of glass from him. How were his sessions? He didn't take much of training on that. It was a Sunday after a Saturday game. They had a cup game on the Tuesday, so it was a split session with a recovery group um, and a and a working group that were working with Steve Holland, and he just sort of oversaw both the groups and managed managed the session effectively. Um, but I. I'd read before that he like when people come to visit him, he likes to have something for himself to try and to try and learn from. So um, I took in a book, um, and it was difficult trying to think of something that you think that this this man would would want and be able to learn from. So I took him a coaching book from but from a different sport. And um, my wife's actually Portuguese, and and she'd recommended taking some donatas, uh, which are Portuguese sort of custard tarts. And I think he was more more enthusiastic about them than my book, to be honest. <laughs> oh, brilliant. Listen to an interview recently with Steve Sidwell, who I actually thought was going to say Mourinho when they asked him who the best manager he worked with, and he said Stevie Koppel. Again, similar to, to Terry Venables, maybe it's because of the media, social media today, and 
he doesn't really get the credit he deserves uh, in the coaching community either. Can you tell us a little bit about what Steve Cobble was like to work for? I think with Steve, I understand where you, you, you're coming from that because he's probably got a not got as renowned a reputation as he should have for, for what he's done in the game. And I think that's probably due to his character and his personality. And, and, and in Steve's own words, he doesn't necessarily play the game. But I think anyone that's played with him, worked with him, competed against him, will have the utmost respect for him. Um, and, and everyone I know that has worked with him or played for him, such as such as Steve, who I know played for him at several clubs, um, has got nothing but good things to say about him. And I'm no different. He... He, when I, when I was a young player, he was manager at Crystal Palace. So he was someone that I'd always looked up to and had an enormous amount of respect for. So when he, when he phoned me out of the blue with the opportunity to go out and, and work in India, I, I jumped at the chance to go and experience a new league and a new culture, a new country, but also to work with him. Um, he's a very astute guy, um, very deep thinker. The, the big, takeaway I took from Steve is that he always sees the big picture um, and he he fills the details in around it but he doesn't get taken away from that big picture um, and then he then delegates very well around that so for me he gave me a lot of responsibility in terms of coaching and um, meetings and putting videos on for the players and going through reviews and, and everything like that always involved you in the process in terms of the team and what he was thinking of selection etc and that was that was great. I really enjoyed that. That this is the picture. This is what I want. But go and fill in the detail. You know, go and do it. Coach how you want in your way. He would feedback on that. He would be positive about about what you'd done. Um, so for me, it was it was fantastic to work for him and also to learn from him. You know, just being in the hotel and obviously we we're in the same hotel. We we're living there. You had three meals a day together and hearing his stories and picking his brains about games that I remember at Crystal Palace as a young lad and players that he'd had and different challenges that he'd had and even going back to his playing days at Manchester United and England. For me, it was it was an absolute pleasure to work with him professionally, but also to get to know him personally. Um, and I think he's someone that should still be contributing a lot more to our game in this country. I think, I think a lot of clubs have, have, have missed out on not involving him in some capacity because he's still got so much to offer. Yeah, you always hear really good things about him. I was actually at that cup final in eighteen ninety, the Palace. Okay. okay. And um that was I was like I was ten years old, but that was the first time that I thought he had this big aggressive team, right and bright, and then there was Andy Gray, Salako. It was a great great palace team. Yeah. Uh, but he was so mild like he was so wasn't he like almost like a thinker? And I'd yeah. never seen that before in terms of a manager. There were usually shouters and screams of Fergie hairdryer, but yeah, Apple was a bit different. You're very, very laid back, very comfortable in his own skin, knows who he is as a person, and very comfortable and confident with that. And and that was probably where one of the changes I had to make in India. The managers that I'd worked for up until that point had all been quite vocal, quite energetic on the sideline, and, and Steve wasn't. Steve was quite reserved, so. You know, after a game or two out there, I, I thought I need to be the one in the technical area here and, and getting some some vocals going on and, 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 and being in that technical area to show a presence to the players because he was he liked to stand back, you know, close to the dugout, a deep thinker about the game. And, and that's the way I'd been as an assistant. So I think as an assistant, you're trying to 
um, work off the manager's strengths and and find ways to to help the group and and that was a change for me actually trying to um, give that energy to the players in terms of a presence in the dugout and, and give some information onto the pitch that that I hadn't had to do previously because of the type of manager that I'd that I'd worked for. Let's talk about working with West Brom Palace Premier League and as another question that I really really fascinated about because in the coaching community and in coaching courses we prepare for games game preparation is basically you know it's it's against a team that's relatively the same ability as you there's a psychology surely of preparing against these the big teams the Uniteds the studies the Arsenals of the world and I wanted to get your insight on how do you get the balance right between you know, placing the emphasis on stopping one team and then obviously always trying to win the game at the same time? Um, it was certainly always a challenge. Um, in terms of the preparation, I, I didn't do anything different regardless of the of the opposition. My working week would generally stay the same. Uh, I'd watch the same amount of games, put in the same level of preparation, put together the meetings in the same format. Um, prepare sessions in as much detail as possible and the reason for that was probably more for me and to do with the other teams in the league because I think human nature sways you towards preparing perhaps in greater detail for the bigger games or the so-called the so-called big teams and then maybe not doing as much for the teams that are in and around you or even lower league teams in cup competitions so by having a process that that I work to and um, you know an analysis structure that we that we used at uh, certainly at West Brom, it was always done in the same way with the same level of detail. Um, and I think that was a good thing to do because it takes any tendency to do more or less out of the equation. And you're always, you know, fully prepared for the games. And in terms of, of the players' mentality, I, you know, you knew in those big games that they were going to be motivated. You knew they were going to be focused. You knew they were going to be driven to try and cause an upset. So it was a case of, delivering tactical information um, and, and keeping them calm, probably. Um, with those top teams, I would I would limit the amount of positive footage that I, that I showed because you don't want to show you know, brilliant after brilliant, goal after goal, and, and, and you're knocking the confidence of the players and perhaps putting fear into them. So I would focus on showing what they did um, being detailed in, in how they play and how they build up and exactly what they're going to do in the game, but then being really strong with the messages on this is what it means for us. This is what we are going to have to do to take a point or to win this game. And I think it's then a case of, I've always had the belief, I always will do, that every game is winnable. It's finding a way. It's then getting that message across to the players and giving them the confidence to go and to go and deliver it, and and that was the same with the with the top teams. I never went into any of those games fearful or thinking we've got no chance of winning this game. It was right. We need to be at our absolute best. We we need to get it spot on. We probably need them to have a little bit of an off day or not be at their very best. But you think we've got a chance of winning this game? Um, and actually, during my time with with with. Palace and at West Brom managed to beat all of those those top six teams at one point or another with Man City, Man United, Liverpool, Arsenal, Tottenham, Chelsea. 
um, which is, you know, a great achievement in terms of the size of the clubs that, that I was working at. And there were some really great groups of players that produced some terrific performances to, to get those results. But it's the big thing is not putting that fear into the players, I think. And if we were playing a team, a lower league team or a team perhaps below us in the league, I would sometimes go the other way and make them look possibly better than than the players thought they were or put more to, to try and liven them up and look, this is not an easy game this is going to be a challenge these are the reasons why and and you, you then because the danger of those games is maybe they haven't got the same level of motivation and focus as they are when they're playing at Old Trafford or or the Etihad or wherever it is yeah let's talk about then life on the bench in a Premier League because again your insight to see does your process depend on the manager that you're working for does it depend on the type of game does it depend on where the players are and and how do you all navigate that that assistant role on the, on the bench at a big, big stadium? Yeah, you're very much working to the, the strengths of the manager, his preferences, um, what he likes. I think once the game starts, you, you're limited in terms of your input into it, to be honest, um, which is why my focus was always on the preparation um, going in. my The earlier part of the week, but really top-heavy for me. Um, to make sure that I ticked every box, I'd done everything I could, the players had the information they needed, etc. So that going into the game, I wanted to be calm, I wanted to be able to see it clearly. Um, in terms of my processes, I always went through on the morning of a game um, what substitutions we would have to make if we had an injury in each position. So we'd go for each position in the team. If we get an injury there, what change you're going to have to make and or you know and have some thoughts in my head similarly if we go behind what could we do to change the game to chase the game if we go ahead what changes can we make to in terms of shape and personnel to to manage the game to see the game and just so if anything does happen in a game at least you're prepared and you're not just reacting on the spot and at the level of information you're going to give to help the manager is then more useful than just suddenly reacting and thinking about it off the off the top of your head. In terms of giving the information to the manager, that's an art in itself because they can be caught up in the game, they can be emotional. So trying to find the right time um, to give them that information, one, so that it's beneficial, and two, so that it, it sinks in um, is, is a challenge, is a skill in itself. So that... As an assistant, and you've always got to, I always believe you say what you think is right, but then you support the manager's decision, whatever he decides to do. So if I suggested bringing player A on and he went, no, I want to bring on player B, then yeah, okay, player B, ready, set pieces, what you're doing, you know, and get them ready for the game. But it's, like I said, the big thing for me was being prepared so that during the game, I was prepared Going into the game, I was conscience-free. And as the game is going on, I've done as much as I can in terms of being ready for any eventualities. And and even in terms of the opposition, what changes do they usually make? You know, if they're behind with 20 minutes to go, what do they normally do? Who comes on? What shape do they go to? So that if suddenly they're making that change, I can relay that to the manager. Look, this usually means they're now going two up front and they're going to go wide and get crosses in or whatever it may be. But just as much preparation you know, sometimes the game's unpredictable and it could be something that the manager has never done before, but at least you've given yourself as much chance as possible of having an effect. You see some footage in, in games today with staff members with the headphones in. 
did you have any con- connection or relationship with people upstairs watching the game, analysis, anything like that in any of the clubs? I did at Crystal Palace um, for a bit. I I didn't particularly enjoy it personally because I, you know, I I just wanted to watch the game and 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 focus on that. And and sometimes the analyst would, you know, we might have a goal disallowed for offside, and he go that was onside. I've seen the replay; it was onside. So then you're tempted to go and rip the full official's head off. So you know, it, sometimes it's not it's it's not necessarily a good thing. So. Um, I, I didn't do that at West Brom. Someone else was was linked up to Jerry Francis up in the stand. So um, I I see the benefits of it in in some respects, but for me, I want to. You know, you obviously get that great picture from upstairs, but you don't get the attachment with the game that you get from being on the bench. So I, I want it. I want both. I want to see the game. I want to be there and almost feel what the players are going through and experience the game with them because. That gave me the best possible situation in terms of helping them. I felt with a comment or, or whatever it may be at half time. What about half time then? Like the different managers you work with, did they all have different processes at half time, or what? What went on there? All very different, to be honest. Some would sort of take time beforehand before speaking. Would go into a room as a staff or to one side and discuss, and and then decide what points to deliver. Others would go straight in um, and just deliver the points that they were going to deliver, maybe have a break to go through set pieces or some individual points. Um, some would like assistance to to contribute or to put things across. Others wouldn't. Others would prefer to do sort of the main team talk themselves and then as, as coaches and assistants, you're then picking off perhaps individual players. Um, Oh yes, all different. Some, you know, some would rather use a tactics board. Some had a flip chart and wanted to put things put things on there, and and they all had different strengths. Some were very good in terms of the visual side and showing things, whereas others could paint a great picture with their voice, and and and, and the you know the passion, the enthusiasm in in what they did. You know, you you got the emotion into the players as much as anything. Um, so fortunate to work with some really experienced managers and all very different with their own with their own strengths and. And their own styles. So for me, it was a, a you know a terrific education because I know what I would do. But you're also looking, thinking, okay, yeah, that worked then. And, you know, I wouldn't necessarily have done it that way, but that's had an impact. And you never know until the second half whether it has had an impact. Or, you know, so in high, it's always hindsight in terms of the end of the game or certainly the start of the second half. Yeah. But yeah, all different, but all all strong in their own way. Has have you seen a change in post game then with? the commercial side of it than the science side of it. What happens now after games? I've always been fascinated with that in the Premier League. Uh, I think the recovery is instant now. You know, you're straight on to recovering for the next game, um, especially if you've got a midweek fixture. Um, you know, it's imperative that you're recovering as quickly as possible. The majority of the managers I work for wouldn't say too much after games, um, which is probably surprising with probably people's perceptions of one or two of them. I think they would be you know, sort of aggressive after a game and, and they weren't. And it was it was almost, no, listen, we're, when I would speak about it on Monday um, or, you know, whatever day we're next in, um, we reflect on it and then we go through things then. The, the odd, the only occasion really I've seen managers lose their, their temper has been for the right reasons where the effort hasn't been there or, you know, the concentration levels have been, have been poor in a game. But if you've lost the game where actually the players are given everything, um, and and just come out the wrong side that a result then they, you know there doesn't tend to be too much finger pointing or blaming then but it's definitely um, 
changing now you know you've got video clips that are ready immediately after a game sports science keeps changing and then you know in terms of recovery protocols and i think players are taking a lot more ownership of that themselves i think that the players i worked for at palace and at west brom were, were all very good professionals and looked after themselves in terms of um especially in terms of recovery you know instantly eating the right things drinking the right things recovery socks whatever it may be um to give them the best possible best possible chance of recovering and, and playing well in the next game Tony Pulis and set pieces, obviously, you know, legendary and what he and the, the detail that he's done. We don't know anything about how that's done in a in a week and and what goes through that. There, can you shine a little light on the detail and the work that goes into that? We work very hard on set pieces, both at Crystal Palace and at West Brom, because it's a big part of of the team in in, in the Premier League because. Because of the finances and the money that other teams have got, you've got to find another way of achieving of, of winning games and achieving results. And set pieces was something that we always felt we could have good control over. We could be really detailed around. Um, when I joined West Brom, we I actually introduced a, a document, an analysis document before the game, purely on set pieces and restarts. And we we had a set piece meeting you know purely on set pieces a separate set piece meeting before each game because i knew how important it was to tony um and i knew what great opportunities they were going to be for us to to score or, or to create and in terms of the week i mean we would do a lot of work in terms of the preparation so watching the position putting the document together preparing the meeting around it sometimes we would pull individual players in in advance and show them certain things and the big thing really, and he, again, he probably doesn't get the credit for it, was that Tony coaches set pieces in detail. It's not, all right, we're running through set pieces on a Friday for 10 minutes and then we do it tomorrow. We would sometimes do it opposed, um, sometimes do it unopposed, sometimes do it on a Thursday, repeat it again on a Friday. But it would always be detailed and coached in terms of how to mark, when are we dropping as a zone line, who's filling what spaces, Where's the delivery going on our attacking ones? What's the signal? What are the movements? Is there a block? Is there someone running across a shoulder? Whatever it may be, he coached it in detail and there was high standards around it. So I don't think there was any, there's no rocket science. It wasn't the way it was structured necessarily. It was just, we prepared well, we were very detailed and he always coached in very good detail around his set pieces because it was a big part of what he felt was important in a game. So even though it was unopposed, it was still pretty much in the intensity and the quality was there? Yeah, I mean, sometimes we would actually, I remember there were occasions at Palace and at West Brom, we would do them unopposed at the start of the session and they'd be lower intensity and just getting the timing of the movements. And, and, and then at the end of the session, we would then do it opposed against the under-23s because the under-23s are now going to do it properly and mark properly and get in the way of things and... And that's when you would then get the timing and the intensity of it. So there were different different ways of doing it. Sometimes we would, you know, show a meeting before before training on the Friday just to say, look, this is what we're doing in terms of set pieces. You know, if it's tearing it down with rain, we're actually showing inside first so that we don't have to spend too long on the grass with them standing there getting soaking wet. You know, you you've gone through it. It's just now right. It's have a few run throughs. Make sure we've got it, um, and just being a bit sensible with things. Um, and we'd also individualise things on the day of the game. So we would show individual clips if 
if our centre-back was marking their centre-back, he would get to see that centre-back's run through corners and what he does so that individually he knew what to expect, what type of runs he makes, where he makes them, um, so that he was aware of, as aware as possible of what was going to happen in the game. Coaching in India, how was that experience? Brilliant. Uh, absolutely loved it. It was, yeah, the league itself was um, a lot slower than what I was used to in terms of um, tempo and pace. It's physically less aggressive, but technically and tactically it was it was a really challenging league um but the the, probably the biggest experience for me was just you know off the pitch as well the different cultures the different personalities of the players we had different religions within the within the group um and understanding understanding that from a from a you know human point of view and learning the different um, ways of life and the different cultures in India, and we had players from from Brazil, um, from Nigeria, from Spain, you know, different different nationalities, all all there in India. So that was the best part of the experience for me was was seeing the country, seeing the cultures, and 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 getting to meet a whole new range of people that did things in different ways than what than what we do here. Um, and I enjoyed the football uh, as well as I say it was physically. It took some getting used to, you know, partly because of the heat and humidity as well. Um, but it was it was challenging in other ways where teams would play shapes that you wouldn't face here in, in England and why players would let your fullback go. And now, right, OK, that's fine. We're going to get an overload, but we've got to make sure that we, we deal with that and we lock that in so we're secure in the turnover. So little challenges, little challenges like that. But for me, it was a great experience. And as I said earlier, the opportunity to to work with Steve um, was, was a big attraction in it as well. But um, it, it was a really positive experience and a great learning curve for me. You're very much a student of the game and you dedicate a lot of time, it seems, to learning and improving just by the way you talk about it and every, every stop, every journey. What teams are you enjoying at the minute? I see the work that you do with uh, with football DNA, and, and you're you're analysing quite a few games. Is there a team that you're that you're really enjoying watching at the minute? I watch a lot of games. I I'm not a big fan of of TV footage. It, it annoys me because I want to see the whole pitch and I want to see the whole shape of the team. So I much prefer watching games live or from a tactical camera where I can I can see the movement of all the players at the same at the same time. Um, so I watch at least two games a week live here here in England, uh, where I will get to the games, and I watch more um, on tactical cameras and be able to see that that, that footage. Sometimes I'm watching a game um, more for personnel reasons, where I'm looking at I might watch be un, you know might be a Premier League two game, watching under twenty three game, and you're just looking for any talented young players, uh, or a lower league game where you're looking if there's any players in there that could potentially. Um, step up in the league and just build my database of players that I keep. So, you know, in, in the next role or in a future role, it, it's there for you to look back and say, oh, yeah, I remember that kid or I remember that player uh, or he could be a good signing for us. Um, and then other games you're watching purely from, from a tactical point of view and, and to learn. And I tend to watch games in context of what I want to take from it. So if, um, you know, if you want to watch a team, counter pressing and being really quick on transitions then then I'm watching Jurgen Klopp teams um, I always really enjoy watching his Dortmund teams and and obviously he's done a fantastic job at Liverpool now so I, I would I would watch 
those games with specific things in mind that I wanted to to learn from. Um, and I, yeah, I love watching Man City play. I, you know, I've always loved watching Pep Guardiola teams. His Barcelona team is without doubt the best team I've seen in my lifetime. And what he's then gone and done in Bayern Munich, and now come into the Premier League, and the way he's the way he's achieved what he's done with Manchester City, um, I think is is outstanding. Um, and I love watching them play, as I do a number of teams. I mean, Leeds in the in the in the Championship here have been great as well since Marcelo Bielsa has come in. The transformation in, you know, because not there wasn't a big turnaround in personnel. So, it was just a change of style, of beliefs, of playing principles, um, and watching them play, whether they win or not. I just think they're absolutely brilliant, brilliant to watch. Um, but I like, I'm open minded with games. I I watch games across Europe and. Um, in the position I'm in at the moment, it's a little bit selfish where I'm watching games to take things that I want, um, or you know, challenge my own beliefs and my own principles, and and or I might have an area of the game that I think right, how would I do that against that shape? Uh, so I watch a couple of teams doing it to see what they're doing and and learn from that, and then decide whether that's how I would do it or whether I would do it differently. Um, but I love the game. I love watching games and. Um, it's it's just to keep learning and keep improving all the time. It's a great time in England, isn't it? With Klopp and and Pep and Bielsa, we're having access to them every week. I mean, what impact do you think they've had on the coaching community over there? I think with some of the the the, the top top foreign coaches that we've had come into this country, we've been really really fortunate. Um, you know, even going back to Arsene Wenger, you know, the impact he had on the game in his country, Jose Mourinho, um, and, and even the likes of Rafa Benitez, Mauricio Prochettino, as well as the ones that, that you've mentioned, have all had a huge impact on, on coaching in this country. Um, I, I think we we need, we're probably now seeing some British coaches come through that have, that have taken things on from that and, and have learned from that. I think we've been slow to do that. I think we need to give more opportunities to to British coaches in this country, whether that be from lower leagues, whether that be from academies with, you know, there's no reason why an under 23 coach can't step up and take a first team here with with what they've learned about the game now and, and the, the process that they've been on. We've probably been a little bit guilty in terms of clubs of, of actually taking coaches that aren't better than what we've got. And, and that's the issue. The top ones and the ones that, you know, are adding to the game, brilliant, fantastic. But I think we've also taken a number of coaches in this country that, you know, I'm watching them play and watching their teams and, and I can't see an identity. You can't see what they're doing. And, and that's that's the issue for me is, you know, why can't a British coach or an English coach be, be doing that job? There are people that have proven they can do it at that level and they're not getting the opportunity. Um, so I think we've been very fortunate. We've been very lucky. From a selfish point of view, in terms of English coaching, British coaching, we now need to make the most of that and, and bring our own coaches through. And, and it certainly had an impact player-wise. We're producing really, really top young players now. I think we can do the same with coaches as well. Last one for you. It's another hot topic almost in, in coaching community, especially over here, is this idea of of that mentor and getting that mentor. And it's not what you know who you know, but it's it's a... It's also about relationships. It's also about getting yourself out there and meeting people and learning, and which is what you've done. I mean, what advice would you have for a young coach who's 23, 24, 25, who doesn't have that 
network? How do they get out there and, and meet the people that they need to meet? I think it's just it's a process over time. Uh, I don't think it's something that can be faked or, or forced. You can put yourself in great positions by going on coaching courses, educating yourself, you know, going to events. Um, you know, there's so much online now that you can take from. But the biggest thing I would say is, you know, learn yourself. You, I think you have to start as a coach with some identity, you know, some beliefs and values that are important to you. That You know, that's the reason that you, anyone starts coaching. And then you develop around those those beliefs and values. You add your experience. Um, I mean, when I started coaching early 20s and, and going through and I started at Palace at 24, 25 or the under 11s, I just wanted to coach as much as possible. Um, and as I said, Palace was great at that time because I wasn't given a curriculum and said, coach that. It was, there's your team, go and get on with it. And I could do sessions that I wanted, do things that I believed in, develop the type of players that I felt you know, we could produce in this country. Um, but it was the experience of doing it was the most important thing. And then over time, you get to meet people and you get the opportunity to learn from others. And, and throughout my career, I've been lucky to have some really good mentors and people that have taken the time with me. And um, even when I was in the academy, the likes of Mick Jones and Lenny Lawrence, who were two of the assistant managers at the clubs, vastly experienced thousands of games in football and and they would pass on knowledge and, and assist and help um and then the managers that i've worked for um you know been able to learn from them and pick up on their strengths and what they do but you've got to put yourself out as well you know i've traveled a lot to, to visit clubs and sometimes covered sometimes you're playing for it yourself um so i think you've got to have that motivation to do it you've got to put yourself out um you know, I've gone and watched the top, top countries in working and gone to watch games all across Europe because I wanted to get better and I wanted to learn. And it's difficult because sometimes you are paying for it yourself and it's, you know, it is coming out of your own pocket. But if you want to get better and if that's what you want to do is coaching, then the dedication and the sacrifice is, is, is the most important thing. Brilliant, brilliant. What a way to finish it. Ben, thank you so much. No, thank pleasure. You. Thanks, Gary. Thanks so much to Ben for his time and his insight there. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Yeah, I said at the start, 45 minutes wouldn't do it justice. I could have sat there for another two or three hours uh, listening to his perspectives and the insights to how they worked. I seem to say this every week, but in social media, we think that coaching is a lot more simple than what it really is. And I think that we tend to overlook the fact that those environments are, are very, very complex in terms of not only the people, but in terms of the pressure that is on there. And then also in the match schedule or the climate, the finances, all these things play a massive part in, in how teams have to be coached and players have to be worked alongside. And it's definitely not as easy as what we think it is. So I, I really enjoyed that. The biggest takeaway for me, and obviously being an assistant coach myself, I, I really wanted to ask him different questions about life on the bench and, and how those set pieces and whereabouts he felt that he could make a, a difference. Two things for me that stood out were, number one, the, the processes that, that Ben seems to put in place wherever he goes and how he remains true to those processes, no matter if they're playing, like he said, one of the top teams or, or even a non-league team in the cup, getting those processes consistent will buy the trust from the players. I think that's so, so crucial. And then second of all was how to get those processes as efficient as possible. 
and again we overlook we think that we can spend two or three days analyzing a game or work with a player to get them better in six to ten months but reality is as ben said the requirements at that level are you have to be a lot quicker at your job whether it's sports science or whether it's the pressure so in getting your team better and getting yourself better the urgency to do that i think is pretty inspiring and you can see that ben doesn't waste a lot of his time by in how he describes his structures and it also seems to be that's how he views his own education as well he was thought that was great at the end where he's saying if it takes you to to pay for a flight pay pay for the flight just go and get yourself better and sometimes it's that simple sometimes we we talk ourselves out of more opportunities than are really there for us so i thought that was great i would love to hear your insight on it as always at gary kernin on instagram at gary kernin on twitter what you enjoyed about it what resonated with you any takeaways please let me know and before you shoot off please do a little five star rating just in the podcast helps with everything really appreciate you listening have a good week enjoy thank you for listening to the modern soccer coach podcast for more coaching topics sessions and resources head on over to coach kernin on facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com